Hello, I'm Alice Murray, editor of The Drawdown, and I'm delighted to be joined by an expert panel today to discuss tech transformation within private capital funds. Joining the discussion today, we have Mike Brogan, who is part of HG's finance team. Mike has overall responsibility for deal execution, fund management and portfolio company valuations, as well as undertaking many strategic and operational projects across the business. Next, we have Chase Paxton, who serves as Director of Finance and Valuations at NGP Energy Capital Management. Within that role, he prepares analysis of valuation deliveries, oversees financial investor reporting, fund and management company forecasting and planning, as well as technology implementation. Also joining us is Stephen Lyle, managing partner at Oxbridge Capital Partners, who oversees all operations at the firm. We also have Petros Farah of Vicus Venture Partners, whose technical expertise is in AI and nanotechnology. He oversees implementation of data initiatives and portfolio monitoring at Vickers. And last but not least, we have Hugh Stacey, Executive Director, Investor Solutions at IQEQ, of which part of his role is portfolio monitoring and ESG reporting uh, offerings that he oversees. A huge welcome to you all. Thanks very much for joining me today. Okay, so the past 18 months have un undoubtedly been a major catalyst for all sorts of change. And for private equity, the pace of technological transformation has ramped up dramatically. The Tech Transformation Survey, which we carried out in partnership with IQEQ, was de designed to check the pulse of the industry's transition at this pivotal and fascinating point in time. We wanted to know if managers are really moving away from Excel and manual processes towards more sophisticated and automatic systems. What the report made strikingly clear is that the role of technology in private equity is a vital one. Today's roundtable discussion will review key findings from the survey and provide detail to the data. So on to our first question. Our survey found that a large proportion of the respondents are currently looking for new software solutions for core back and middle office functions. Uh, for fund administration, that was 34%, for compliance and reporting, 33%, and for waterfall, waterfall distribution, that was 33%. So Hugh, I'll come to you. Um, what, what does this tell us um, about uh, private equities willingness to use software solutions what's behind this this finding i think you've got to sort of manage um your organization to what works best for you so a lot of private equity fund managers are fairly lean or they have been fairly lean uh, teams and therefore you know the uh, availability to outsource something is perhaps um a little bit easier for 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 smaller teams whereas larger organizations may want to uh, go down the route of actually getting a software themselves and they have the the scale to do that uh, and all these things always take longer to implement than first <laughs> than first envisage so um I, I think the other way fund managers are looking is you know if you're a, a fairly sizable manager organization that 
that back office accounting piece uh, should already probably be in place to be honest so they're now looking at other softwares whether it's portfolio monitoring whether it's waterfall um, calculations and there is a whole plethora of different vendors out there in the last sort of three four five years and i think covid has been a catalyst to this in some respects because people want more transparency investors are asking uh, more questions so i think people are have been concerned in the pandemic you know how has the pandemic influenced their portfolios and therefore they're asking um, fund managers more questions around sort of uh, tracking those portfolios so I think um, I think there's been a, um, a bit of a concentrational focus but again I'd like to hear what uh, the actual practitioners are uh, on, on the panel what they're seeing yeah you know I, I agree with Hugh um, in a lot of ways especially over kind of the change that's happened in the, the market and the availability of software over the last three to four years. I've been with NGP um, for a little over eight years and what's on the market now is so much better than what was available eight years ago. It, you know, it, it felt like there were a lot of products that were being built and there was some sort of wrapper or something on top of it trying to serve PE versus being functionally built up for private equity or for venture. And I, I think, you know, a lot of our earlier technological um, implementations that left a really bad taste in our mouth. And it kind of took us two or three years to kind of reset and kind of work with what we have. But a lot of the products that we're starting to kind of see um, are so tailored built. And I, I think that just goes hand in hand with total AUM growth in the space. I mean, people can make money just in PE now making PE solutions. And that's really changed kind of fundamentally the quality of the products. And you know, that makes me really excited that, you know, as we move from maybe some legacy systems to more custom built systems where we don't have to have an implementation partner that we can manage ourselves that understands the space that you know, that's probably also driving a lot of demand with other managers, just the, the quality is, is significantly improved, particularly with, with just normal SaaS products for you know, running CRMs or monitoring uh, portfolio companies and things like that. And that, that's pretty exciting for, for the space in terms of automation and efficiency. Mike, coming to you and um, thinking about this, this kind of theme coming through about being able to buy in software and, and simply plug it in, um, is, is, is that generally possible today? I mean, I, we you know, totally agree that software has improved, um, but everyone has different needs. Um, any system needs to be tailored to your specific demands and what you want to do with it. Um, implementation is still a bit of a headache, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, no, I very much agree with what, what Chase was saying, actually, in terms of the, the evolution of the, of the private equity space and therefore the sort of software that, that's produced and, and required to, to keep up with that sort of sophistication. Um, implementations of software products are, are never straightforward as you say um, every every single firm and sometimes different funds within that firm have their own nuances their own sort of uh, specific needs and, and it's never a quite a, a plug in and play um, solution that you get um, that said you know I've, I've been at HG for 10 years and I've seen how that how that industry has evolved you know materially and how the the as I suppose, as more money flows into that industry, it drives that sort of development, and suddenly the the space and the the market is of a scale where software providers build specific solutions for that market. 
Um, and that's certainly making our, our life easier. And it's quite an exciting time to, to be able to see these new products and how that can, can help us and, and make us more efficient as a firm. Um, but no, in terms, of, in terms of your question, it's never straightforward. Um, it needs to be resourced properly. It needs to be you know, diligence properly beforehand and make sure that it, it does actually solve the problem that you're solving for. Um, and that's always the challenge, I think, with these, with these products. Fab. And Petros, coming to you, if you were, um, you know, if there was a decision around just simply buying software in um, or engaging with a third party outsource provider, um, what would be the kind of main considerations around that? that kind of decision and I think specifically on kind of what it means for your internal resources because often I talk to managers and whichever decision they take it can often mean having to have another person in place to to deal with one of those options yeah yeah I mean the that's true I think that's a big consideration in taking off the shelf things and versus custom things is that you you have to spend less resources but the one thing to say is that they both of those options uh, have require lots of resources if they're not sort of very standardized or if it's not sort of out of the box if you have to design something off the off from scratch it's always going to take a lot of time for the team um, and I think what what I'm 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 not as uh, I, I haven't been in, in looking at this space as 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 long as Chase has, but what I'm seeing uh, last sort of couple of years when we've been looking at this is there does seem to be a lot more uh, tailored uh, solutions for the for the space, which seems to still be in a transition where um, there there doesn't seem to be a lot of standardization both from the software side but also from the needs of the of the industry, but I think as as, as this matures, there's going to be more standardization, both from the needs of the industry, but also from the software solutions. And then, uh, and then it becomes very easy. The, the barrier still to implement new things is still fairly high because there is that commitment of time. You need to figure out how you're going to translate these legacy systems into uh, a more a, a new way and sort of change the ways of working. Um, but I think that that this is it's an evolution, and we're and we're sort of on the on the transition of of something of of things becoming um, lower barrier to sort of uh, move to to more sort of standardized uh, solutions uh, on 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 these things. Yeah, and okay, Stephen, I want to come to you on this because um, given your strategy and and given what you do. Um, you know, large amount of, of investment, but, you know, companies in earlier stages that might not be as, um, you know, what you're helping them do is, is to become sophisticated and, and develop teams. Uh, so reporting, I'm thinking specifically around reporting and portfolio management. I imagine everyone's speaking very different languages or, you know, some only just starting to learn kind of financial lingo. Um, how can you use tech or supporting partners to kind of overcome what must be quite a, a big challenge and a big lot of work for you. Well, you said a lot there. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, first of all, you know, because we we cover the entire venture continuum, you know, we have Oxbridge Angels, which is co-branded. Co so our very early, early stage. And you know, that's people that runs pretty autonomous, even though my my co-founder Rashid Zubri and myself are directors of that it it basically runs itself and you're right it's a global you know uh, even though we are focusing on you know 
um, startups that come out of the Oxford and Cambridge University ecosystems, include Imperial College and the entire London Golden, Golden Triangle. That's a lot of bodies, a lot of moving parts, lots of issues you have to deal with compliance. And so the angels have their own set of compliance issues. Uh, and then the VC course operates on another plane and we scale up those startups. But I think it's important <clears throat> if, if you're operating this space as a solutions provider, just to realize, you know, what is the, what is the, what is the, you know, the biggest pains of private equity? And I, did, I can tell you from, you know, um, spending a half a million dollars out of my own pocket just on legal fees and, um, uh, and other startup costs, you know, it's, it, it's 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 um, really really painful. It's I call it death by a thousand enterprise solutions. You know, so you can go out and do you can you can service all of this by you know buying uh, software packages and uh, but then like I said, it's it's extremely painful. Um, and we're really we really what I liked about uh, IQEQ uh, is that. It, you know whether they whether they are creating native solutions, you know their own native APIs, um, you know, or they're stitching together OEM deals. It doesn't matter to us. You know what we're we're looking for is somebody who has the best in class solution stack that solves all these problems for us. Uh, I'd rather write one check a month and know the people like an extension extended part of our team versus a bunch of outside solution providers um that that's that's the ultimate it's about the solution stack and i think of the solution stack as like it's like it's like your it's your offering to the marketplace it's your eight layered cake okay um it 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 it, it solves all these pain problems and for us our primary concern is to create a safe place for our lps very important. It's a very simple thing to say, to say, is this a safe place? And so uh, when they access, you know, a, a platform, and I do believe in the platform, platformization or the enterprising of everything, um, you know, the KYC, the AML, the reporting to the LPs, it's customized. Um, and then we want to create an elegant place. So if if I if I give a link to uh, an outside LP, do they access something that's very clunky, looks very Soviet, <laughs> or is it is is you know is it elegant? And by elegance, is it beautiful? Um, is it state of the art? As we like to say in Hollywood, is it sexy? Is it cool? Like wow, this is the first time I've ever had vision to my private equity investments. This is really really cool. I feel safe, and also this is really cool. But those are the takeaways. That's what I like to hear from uh, from our LPs. Um, we're the user for IQEQ, but our users are LPs, and they need to enjoy this journey. And we want to make that journey as comfortable and safe and as fun as possible. I'm I'm happy to sort of continue on that because there is so many software available that for a fund manager they could buy I don't know twenty different software. Uh, for the different requirements and I think that there's no one software that can basically meet all their technology requirements so you know as Stephen was saying you know there are 
other options available to people rather than having to buy software or build software themselves. But again, it just depends on the size of the organization because obviously the bigger the organization, the more resources they have for that. But not all PE fund managers are, you know, tens of billions AUM. Um, and I think it has to be horse for courses in terms of what people are acquiring. So often the outsourced provider group can be a, a, a viable option and a quick and, and cost effective option as well as delivering, as Stephen was saying, a, a service which is which they you know need to get to um, you know get online and allow their investors that sort of security and comfort that they've got this covered. Okay, um, we've been dancing around it a bit, but there's no conversation today about private capital markets tech without talking about data. Um, so Petros, given this is kind of bang in your sweet spot, I'll kick off with you first. Um, to my mind, a surprising amount of our survey respondents, 62%, uh, said that they don't currently have a data lake. Um, and a handful of respondents, 13%, rated their data practices as being highly effective. Most people said they were average. So what's going on when it comes to data? Everyone knows they need to have it, but seems to be a bit of a hurdle in actually making it sing. Yeah, sure. So it's, um, yeah, it's an interesting observation. Uh, I think two things to say here uh, for us in terms of uh, upgrading our our, our sort of uh, accounting self software, et cetera. Uh, a, a big motivation when we were trying to do this is 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 thinking about data quality. And and sort of it, when you work in Excel, when you used to use working in Excel, you're used to having lots of lots of data across the the space. And uh, also, if you were to sort of try and some of these sort of smaller solutions, you end up with siloed data all over the place. Uh, whereas we were quite keen to just have our data in one place. So. Uh, have our accounting system talk to our uh, reporting system and have and sort of remove that friction between them. Um, there's two more. There's two motivations for that. First of all, um, as as the others alluded as well, the the the, the expectations from LPs and and our investors are, you they want more of these data sort of at hand. They're not just happy to just see their drawdown notices. They want to understand. What the where the movements were, how they came to it, um, what the valuation, what the, what's underlying the valuation. That people are becoming more data hungry. They're used to more data, uh, but also as as venture investors, we tend to have much smaller teams, uh, and so removing those frictions in how do we get that data to our LPs in the easiest way uh, was is quite important for was quite important for us. Uh, in in terms of data lakes as well, um, I think maybe I'm not the the right uh, person to comment on this because uh, w when it comes to venture, our our data is small and sparse. So um, so when so you you don't need sort of huge databases. You like a, a, a sort of simple database is more than enough. Uh, where we 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 could use more data lakes and and where I see the, the where that it's going is um, when we're talking about data. I think in this context we're mostly thinking about financial data, but there's a lot of other data. There's contracts. There's this kind of things. So yes, I can see this place where bringing it all together would be a powerful place to be. Uh, but I think there's there's we're 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 earlier in the journey than sort of building this this all-encompassing uh, databases. 
uh, I'm with Petros. It's our deals. We, you know, if you're looking at a late stage A round or B round, you're looking at a uh, let's say you're looking at a pre-revenue momentum type of a play. Um, sure, you know, maybe we you know pay for some data over pitch pitch deck, which is kind of the gold standard, you know, in terms of you know looking at deals. Like, how did you? If I'm an LP, maybe I would ask of us, how did you how did you come up with that that pre money valuation? What was the driver of that? And because it's so dynamic, right? Um, I see it. You know, you know, I sat across two deal fronts. I sat across a deal uh, I, last. I mean, I sat, I sat across I sat across many deal fronts, but there are two deal fronts that give you an example. There's Silicon Valley where I uh, saw a 13 year old girl had a Pikachu app that took digital poo-poos. She got $500,000 on a 10 million pre-money. Okay, and then I see a founder, a postdoc at Cambridge who has um, a solution to treat um, a, a certain form of cancer and they've already have a proof of concept. And they're selling, you know, they're looking for 100,000 uh, pounds on a 200,000 pre-money. You see what I'm dealing with here? I don't know how much that data is going to help me. All right. <laughs> okay. So, so because it's so tactical, it's so micro tactical, right? And yeah, I can reference this data and I, but I, I don't know how valuable it is. You know, if we're doing reporting and say, here's how we stacked up against indices, but they can get that data too. <laughs> so, you know. As I'm not personally, I'm not. I'm not surprised about that statistic at all. That 60% don't have currently have a data lake in private equity because, you know, I think data lakes are really. You know, it's a significant cost. It's a significant um, project to implement and actually do successfully. So you have to be of a fairly large scale fund manager or asset management firm to to want to implement this and it's a huge undertaking you know someone like ourselves like a, a service provider clearly it is um a requirement because we're, we're dealing with so much data on behalf of different clients whether it's portfolio monitoring whether it's um, esg reporting or it's the accounting so you know where we're getting lots of different data sources coming into us it makes a, a it, it makes sense but for a fund manager who's got two or three funds you know it it wouldn't necessarily be a, a cost effective measure to, in terms of the value add you're going to get from it i think so um but again happy to hear what others um others think uh, and again someone like mike or chase might have a, a different uh, view on this bearing in mind that they're slightly different in terms of their their scale but um yeah i'm, I'm not surprised at all on, on that statistic Yeah, so in terms of um, <clears throat> data lake, so we are actually in the in the 62% that don't have a data lake, but uh, I guess it's something that now comes up a lot more regularly for us and, and we're reaching that scale where it becomes quite important. Um, so it's, yeah, it's very much on our radar. We, we've looked at a few platforms already that integrate and we're starting to, to use some of those platforms that integrate data from different systems. Whether you'd classify that as a, as a proper data lake or not, I'm not sure. Um, but certainly there is a there is a movement in that direction, um, and I think we've also sort of touched on the the challenges of that. And for me, it's the quality of that data. Um, for us, you know, we're 
we have a number of different software solutions within the business they use for different purposes but sometimes collect similar or, or the same type of data and so when you when you're sort of moving to that data lake one source of truth sort of view that a lot of firms of our sort of scale are, are getting towards um it's all about the quality of that data um who owns it you know it can be quite a big task and i know a number of firms have you know, specific data managers or a team of, of data analysts who whose pure responsibility is to look at the quality of that data and to make sure that it's maintained and um and you know have proper responsibility for that so i think that's that's the challenge um as i said i think we're getting to a scale where that's that's very much on our radar and, and something that i'd imagine we probably look towards in the next you know two three four years um but also recognizing that there's there's challenges in in doing that and and it needs to be properly resourced and thought about and you know that clear ownership of whose data is this and who's responsible for for maintaining it is yeah, is a, is a real problem when you reach that sort of scale. Chase, sticking on data, data lakes, data feeds, um, given that you, um, have, you know, oversee some of the investor reporting, another thing that our, our survey threw up was that about a third of respondents predicted that LPs will in the future request direct data feeds. Um, what you know is that something that you can see happening and if so what would that mean for you um we've we've definitely seen lps try we've seen you know initiatives that have come come together and failed um it it seems impossible to me for it to happen i mean we the you know we, we get i don't know how many LP, lp templates a day they're all different they all want information differently they all define their data fields differently it all requires some sort of level of customization or some unique or some, you know, call or teams meeting with our team to say, well, what are they really asking here? Even if we've been in business with that LP for 20 years in some cases. So it, it seems monumental. I, it would be incredible for our team if we could really standardize around information that's required and reporting that's required and leverage that. I mean, we could build a system to meet those needs. It's just, we could build a system to meet, um, you know, direct data feeds for a couple of our big LPs, but it would still leave us with the one-offs that would consume a lot of our time. So, you know, there, there's a balance there between being as friendly and, and creating the safety for your LPs, particularly on the smaller side, so that they feel like they have that personal connection, even as you grow the firm, um, and trying to manage their requests and, and also just trying to be efficient and automate. So it, it seems, you know, Herculean in terms of that actually ever really happening, just because limited partners are so diverse and sort of what they need and what they're asking for but um it, it would definitely drive a lot of automation and, and a lot of efficiency in the back office if, if it were ever to, to really gain significant momentum we at iqq investigations provide our fund manager uh, clients the the Co um, cosmos portfolio monitoring platform solution so that's for them to do internal analysis and slice and dice their data for their existing portfolio and more and more, we're starting to have fund managers say to us, can we give access to our LPs to the platform directly? As of yet, no one's actually taken it on, um, but there is the capability to do that. 
And I think just by the very fact that people are starting to ask us the questions is showing that there is that sort of thirst from LPs to have direct access. But I don't think that will ever supersede the sort of um, LP days, the quarterly. Well, I think quarterly reports, I think in five years time, I don't think it would be unusual to have the quarterly reports done more on a dashboard style, sort of log on to it online. And we're starting to see that for some of the LP clients when um, they're board members are having um, having boards, they're actually, rather than getting a PDF document or even a printout, they're going onto the dashboards and looking at online from iPads or, um, you know, laptops, et cetera. So I do think that is a, it's gonna be a fairly slow um, progression, but I do think that will be the, the, the trend. Um, so I don't know if that answers the question or not. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I have spoken to a couple of, um, I think, yeah, Mike mentioned that, you know, where firms have specific data people, um, that does seem to be an area that they're increasingly looking at. But I think, you know, portfolio management um, and deal origination is, is more of a priority at this point. Um, okay, so um, a final point that I want to look at is ESG, and then I'll come to you all for some concluding remarks. Um, Petra, sorry, I'm going to pick on you again, um, just because you, you you sort of mentioned it um, when we were talking about data. It, there's a very obvious data, financial data, um, but more and more LPs and GPs want to see um, less structured data. And I'm thinking specifically around um, ESG. Um, so with a kind of increased desire to be reporting and, and you know, get your KPIs and, and understand the ESG impacts of, of your investments. Um, how is that impacting your technological needs? Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. I think ESG is one of those topics that's uh, causing a lot of drive towards automation because uh, there's, there's, you're suddenly adding a lot more data that you need to feed, and uh, it's 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 it, and and it becomes quite quite unmanageable if it's too unstructured. So you need to put some sort of structure. Um, so for us as a venture investor, uh, and and sort of we invest across a broad range of uh, various technologies. So from biotech to energy to materials and finding a framework <clears throat> which uh, we can we can measure everyone against um it's been the main challenge there uh, and sort of so we we're at the step of before sort of gathering the data is figuring out uh how how we even want to measure these things so it's uh it's so i think that there's there are some initiatives out there so this is another problem that it's just we, we're having problem with uh we're not we we are it does feel like we're reinventing the wheel here but uh it's it's something the industry has been talking about a lot of time there's clearly that needs to be some sort of standardization around this and sort of some structure put around this uh, and there are some initiatives recently that that try to put that and try to implement it. It still has a lot of drawbacks. It doesn't work for everyone, um, but I do feel like there, there, as we go on, there, there will be a bit of standardization because ESG. When you say ESG, it's not just one thing. It's it's so many things that you can measure, and it's uh, it's it's adding so much data that you want to gather and monitor. 
Um, and for us, when we're dealing with some startups that are five 10, to 10 people, uh, we don't want to be asking for them to be uh, filling in these long forms and uh, quarter on quarter. So we do need systems. We do need standardization. We do need um, some sort of simple ways of, of recording this. Um, but then on the other side, um, it, it's 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 more of a basis. You need sort of some basis to understand, to to have to get a, a general view, uh, and I think that's what uh, LPs are asking for as well. It's sort of that that basis of that you can sort of get a quick overview. Uh, but fundamentally, this business is is there's a lot of nuances and there's a lot of uh, a lot that can be lost if you're just looking at the data. So the the voiceover is always an important part of it. So in fact, a lot of our data is not structured, is unstructured, and that's the bit that our investors uh, value the most. I think at this stage, uh, because that's that's where you really understand what's going on and, and really understand uh, the context around what you're seeing in the data. Mm -hmm. So I think I, I see that sort of continuing to move forward, but more and more trying to structure the, the EHT side of things to make it manageable. Um, thank you so much, everyone, um, for your time, uh, for your expertise, for your insights, um, for sharing your um, knowledge and your experiences. It's super.